Good morning, Harvest. We're in a series called Root to Fruit. The idea behind this series is we want to learn about spiritual maturity. The Bible says growing up spiritually is like uh, fruit, fruit growing, which is gradual and slow, and there's different kinds of things God is growing in you. And so we've been through some of the fruit of the Spirit already. Uh, Can you name them? What's the first fruit of the Spirit we covered? What was it? Love, and then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and then, and then, lo and behold, we have arrived at faithfulness. So faithfulness now is the topic of the day. What we've seen each uh, week is that these virtues that God is building within us uh, are drawn out of his nature. So who he is, is who we are meant to be. He made us in his image to be like him. So understanding that God is love is what will lead to us becoming more loving. And the same is true today. Understanding God's faithfulness will help us to become more faithful um, in our lives. Now, I bet you can tell me um, just the, the word faithfulness causes us to think about a national treasure in our country. Can you tell me what it is? Faithfulness makes us think about old faithful. How many of you have... Here's a picture... How many of you have actually gone and seen Old Faithful in Yellowstone? Raise up your hands nice and high. I haven't been there. Uh, We're going to, uh, what's the other one? We're going to Yosemite this summer. Been to the Grand Canyon a few years ago, so we're kind of making the rounds now. And, um, And then, but thumbs up if you think I should go and see Old Faithful. Is it worth the trip to Yellowstone? Yeah, I'm seeing all thumbs up. People travel across the country and, and from other continents to see the park in general, but to see Old Faithful. Old Faithful is the most famous geyser in the world because it's consistent. Uh, Nobody shows up and misses it because it goes off faithfully. The mathematical average between the eruptions of Old Faithful is about 74 minutes. It goes off about every 74 minutes. It can shoot uh, watered steam into the air, 100 to 180 feet high, lasting for a minute and a half to five minutes, which is pretty impressive. It goes off 20 times a day and can be predicted with a 90% confidence rate within a 10-minute variation. When it goes off, it can shoot between three and 8,000 gallons uh, into the sky. And we're amazed because it's old faithful. I want you to understand that God is more faithful than old faithful. 90% is good, 100% is better. God is faithful 100% of the time. He is always faithful. He has never not been faithful. When you understand this attribute of his, you will no longer need to worry. Is is God going to be faithful this time? Will he keep his promise again? That's like you looking at old faithful being like, is it going to go off? Is it going to go? Oh, it went off again. Phew. But what about now? Is it going to go off again? Listen, God is more faithful than old faithful. So calm down. Just calm. Just turn to the person next to you and say, calm down. Just calm down. And then, and then turn to the other person on the other side and say, God is faithful. He's faithful. When you get his faithfulness, you will be able to trust him, and then you will want to be like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are faithful, 100% faithful. We can rely on your promises because every word of God will prove true. 
We can rely on your warnings because if we choose to sin, we will choose to suffer. You are faithful. Show us your great faithfulness today and make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have a lot of verses on the screen today. You don't have to race all around the Bible. Usually we pick a passage and we go through it verse by verse. But in this series, uh, some of the sermons, we take a theme and we trace that one thought, faithfulness, all around to different verses. So you could write the verses down as we go. But when it comes to faithfulness, here's the first thing you can jot down. We must believe God is faithful. If you don't think God's faithful, you won't be like him. Believe God is faithful. In Psalm 36, 5, it says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Listen, your faithfulness to the clouds. This verse talks about the length of God's faithfulness, and it's a pretty breathtaking image to think of God's faithfulness extending to the heavens. In fact, I want to kind of act this out here. I need help. I need help. Sam, you're going to help me. Come on up. Everybody give Sam a round of applause because he's going to help me. And he didn't even know it. It's a good thing you dress nice today, Sam. Thanks so much for helping. Sam, we've got a, a little handyman project we have to do here, okay? What we're going to do is we are going to measure God's faithfulness, all right? So you hold that. Uh, come on over here. And the Bible says it stretches to the heavens. So um, we have to measure. It's not. It's got we to gotta, we gotta reach up higher. I've got an idea. Hold on. Just stand right there. In order to get up higher, I'm going to give you a chair, okay? Please don't hurt me. I won't hurt you. <laughs> Just don't fall off the chair. Okay, you get on the chair. Here, actually, give me the tape measure. I trust you here. All right, now you get on the chair, and then I'm going to hold this on the ground, and then you're going to reach it up to the heavens, okay? How's he doing? Is it there yet? Is it there yet? No? Keep going. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Now hold that pose, Sam, because I want everyone to remember two guys failing uh, at a little handyman project here, okay? We're trying to measure God's faithfulness, which reaches to the skies, and have we done it? No, that's the point. The point is it's immeasurable. The point is you will fail to measure God's faithfulness if you try. So let's applaud Sam for failing. Thank you. Appreciate it. No, you got to take the chair. You got, you got to bring this down, back down with you. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. He totally didn't know that was going to happen, which makes it all the more fun. Believe God is faithful. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You can't measure how faithful God is. Jot this down. God is faithful to you to you. At your best and at your worst, God is faithful to you. If you made a list of um, people in the Bible who God put up with when he shouldn't, Jacob would be near the top of the list. Do you know the story of Jacob from the Old Testament? He was a trickster. He was a swindler. He was a thief. He was a sneak. Jacob, do you remember what happened? He went into his father's presence dressed like his brother Esau, and he even put on 
you know, like animal skins to pretend to be a burly man. And, and, and dad felt the, oh, this must be my son, Esau. And so he blessed him and gave him like the blessing of the inheritance, only it was the wrong son. Jacob stole and ran away, fled for his life, never saw uh, mom again. And so fled for his life. And then many years later, he was coming back. Now he had lived a corrupt life. Who do you know who's crooked? He's a cheat. He's a sneak. He's a conniver. That's Jacob. He, uh, he kept uh, hustling his father-in-law out of money by, by uh, manipulating the flocks he was raising up. And then he ran off and stole stuff from him. So this was a crooked man. And yet on his way back, in Genesis 32.10, he said, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Jacob lived his life wrestling with God. You remember the story, right? He literally, physically, God showed up and he wrestled with God. And that's how some of us live our lives. We wrestle with God and God proves faithful. Time and again we test him and he proves faithful. When I think of modern day wrestlers, uh, I think I grew up in the 80s. How many of you watched WWF growing up uh, in the 80s? It's okay to admit it in church one day only. You could admit that you watched wrestling growing up. It's WWE now today, and my son loves it. But there was a character, I think he was actually in WCW, but then they bought it, whatever. His name was Sting. You remember Sting? Here's a picture of Sting, uh, and one of the most popular wrestlers. And so somebody gave me a book uh, last week that was about Lex Luger becoming a Christian, and Sting was the one who reached out to him because Sting was a Christian. I'm like, oh, happy day. Here's a picture of Sting and Lex Luger together. So I started reading this book, and in the introduction to this book, um, Sting wrote the introduction to Lex Luger's book. And here's what Sting wrote. He said, in 1998, after finally losing the biggest wrestling match of my life against God, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's what Sting said. We got saved right around the same year. Sting said, the biggest wrestling match in my life that I lost was my wrestling match with God. God won. He won me over. Here's a guy who knows what it feels like to spend his life struggling against God and finally giving up and saying, you win. You win. I can't wait to read the rest of the book. I'm going to be talking about it for weeks. (laughs) God is faithful to you even when you're unfaithful to him. Jot this down. God is faithful to other Christians. So as you look around the room and wonder how God is treating your family, your friends, the answer is he is always perfectly faithful. Yeah, but there are people in my life going through some stuff. God is faithful. Um, Some people who I know are having a rough patch with their kids. Their kids are just acting up or Uh, going off, they're becoming prodigals, and they don't know how to react to it. And what I would say, if that's you, what I would say is this. If you fixate and obsess and try and control your kid's faithfulness to God, you're going to end up in the funny farm because you can't. You should spend all of your time thinking and, and resting and pondering God's faithfulness to your children because he will always prove faithful. That's never changing. 
talk to God about that. God will always prove faithful to your children. When your heart is at rest on that, you won't feel like you're on a roller coaster with no harness anymore. Because God is faithful to other Christians. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't leave His kids. He disciplines them. He grows them. He shapes them. And you can bank on that. God is faithful to you. God is faithful to other Christians. Write this down. God is faithful to other non-Christians. Other non-Christians. The world. Uh, so, so many of the problems that you see in the headlines, you're wondering, how could God let this? They're a result of God being faithful to a wicked world. And God is faithful to people, and he allows them to continue to exist. He, he makes their rebellion possible. He gives them everything necessary for, for them to completely disregard him because God is faithful to the wicked. Have you ever heard someone say, what's God ever done for me? Raise your hand if you've ever heard someone say, what, what's God ever done for me? God's never done anything for me. Did you hear uh, uh, last week there was a headline that came out in the world of science? I'll read it to you. It says, and I'm quoting, hold on to your brain. There might be twice as many supermassive black holes in the universe as originally thought. I don't know who's on the calculator, but big mistake. Huge accounting error. Surprise, a new discovery has potentially doubled the number of supermassive black holes that astronomers thought existed in our universe. Do you know what a black hole is? Do you know what a black hole does? A black hole swallows stars, and some of them move. They, they roam 5 million miles per hour, and they can gobble up entire solar systems and spit the guts out to the far end of the galaxy, and there's now twice as many as they originally thought. Ah! I don't want to take my dog for a walk at night now because space is out, and I'm afraid something is going to suck me up into... There's black holes out there, that, and some of these black holes are huge. Check it out. Here's a picture of one of the biggest black holes, or at least an artist's rendition, and that would be the size of our solar system. Solar system meaning all nine planets. Those of us who grew up in the 80s, there are nine planets. <laughs> you can't take a planet away, please. <sighs> size of our solar system... It looks like a family of fleas, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Jupiter's in there. And what has God ever done for me? He's keeping us out of that. Right now he is. What has God ever done for me? He is allowing a wicked world to continue to exist in a perilous universe. And people are thankless absolutely thankless. God is faithful to you, to other Christians, to other non-Christians. In Luke 6.35, it says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful 
and the evil. God is faithful. Once we nail this down and realize just how faithful God is, that he's more faithful than old faithful, we can trust him. And even better, we can act like him. Number one, believe God is faithful. Number two, jot this down. Be faithful. And we'll begin by looking vertically. Write this down. Be faithful to Christ. First, we'll look vertically, you and God. Then we'll look horizontally, how you can be faithful to others. But be faithful to Christ. The word faithful, if you do a word study on it, in the Greek, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, you'll find there are three basic facets to, um, to being faithful. Um, and the uh, first facet is that being faithful is being reliable. You're reliable. Uh, you're, you're consistent. So you're doing something repeatedly so that people know that you'll do it. That, so there's this reliability. But there's also responsibility. Uh, responsibility is a little different. It means you're doing well. You're not just there. You're actually uh, taking ownership so that people can not just depend on you being somewhere, but they can depend on you being prepared. So you are, uh, you are reliable and you're responsible. And the third facet is you're relational. Uh, you, so there's this idea that you're being devoted to the people who are counting on you. Reliable, uh, you are responsible, and you are relational. God is all three of those things, and he wants us to be reliable, responsible, and relational in our, uh, in our relationship to him. He wants those things to characterize our relationship to him. Be faithful to Christ. That begins when you understand what faith actually means. Because you can't be faithful to Christ without faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Listen, please hear this. If you don't have saving biblical faith in Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to do anything faithful to him. All right? If you don't have what the Bible describes as a born-again experience, then it's impossible for you to please him. Nothing can please him until you have been saved by his son. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Do you realize what this is doing? This is calling upon people who think they're saved to look at what this book says and verify it. And if you think you're saved, but this book says otherwise, the Bible says you need to give yourself an F. It doesn't matter how you feel things are between you and God. It doesn't matter what some other group or book or author or cult or what even a church is saying to you. It matters what this book says to you. And if this book says you're not saved, you're not saved. Test yourself and see if you're in the Lord. Um, you must be faithful to Christ. That begins when you call upon Jesus as Savior. That's what it means to have faith. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And that truth transforms you at a point in time. This is a really important moment in the sermon because for some of you, if you don't get this, nothing else I say will matter to you. All right? You do not gradually 
be faithful to God. Being faithful to God does not happen gradually. You, you don't do little by little, little more each year. That's not how it works. You surrender everything and ask Jesus to save you, and then you have faith. And in a moment, in an instant, you are born again. Only then can you learn what it means to walk by faith. But if you do not have a life-changing salvation story, it's impossible for you to please God. Everything between you and God starts at the cross. Be faithful to Christ. Now, once you have a saving knowledge of Jesus, the Bible is clear in Acts 2.38. It says, repent and be baptized. So you're supposed to choose to get baptized after you're saved through faith in Christ. And whenever I meet an adult who says they're saved, but their baptism didn't happen after they were saved, there's always a giant question mark in my heart over whether or not they were truly saved. Some of them are. Many of them are not. Because you haven't done the first thing Jesus commanded you to do, which is repent and be baptized. A choice you make, not a choice parents make for you. So I would just challenge you, if you have not been baptized by faith after you were saved, be faithful to Christ. Be faithful. Um, Jot this down, and then make it a habit to worship Christ consistently. We have three W's that describe what it means to relate to God here at Harvest, and the first one is worship. Worship Christ consistently. In Psalm 89.1, it says this, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. When you're saved, you sing. When you're saved, you worship. You worship Christ. Um, You know, when it comes to Sunday morning, I would just challenge you. If you have not nailed it down that Sunday morning belongs to God, if you have not made the commitment in your heart that I'm going to be here 52 Sundays a year, I would challenge you to do that. Worship Christ consistently. Make your relationship with Jesus the most important thing in the world. And demonstrate that by showing up to church and and participating joyfully. Uh, When it comes to worshiping Christ, um, I have been so encouraged by people in our church who just show up. We've had people battling brain cancer. And they've been here singing to the Lord. We've had people lose loved ones during the week. And they come to church that Sunday. At my last church, there was a woman who was battling stage four breast cancer. She couldn't, she had to pull herself up the stairs. And and she got to church. She got to church every week. And I just thought, boy, what does that say? Because there are people who are home right now with a headache. or, Or just stayed up a little too late on Saturday night. And they're not here. And she is. And I felt so encouraged by her. To just, to just get there and to sing regardless of what I'm going through. Too often, it's the little things that keep us from church. It's funny, it's, uh, when you find out somebody's slipping away from church, usually it's not any big thing, it's some small things, you know, and a lot of people just sleep in. Jesus actually said, somebody came up to him once and said, Teacher, I will follow you anywhere you go. Interesting response. Jesus said, The Son of Man does not have a, a place to lay his head. So, uh, no pillow. Interesting. I'll follow you wherever you go. I won't promise you even a pillow. I am taking away your pillow. And for a lot of people, Sunday morning is a pillow fight between them and God. It's a pillow fight. And the pillow wins. And that's just what they want. They just want more 
comfort. It's the little things that keep us away from God. It doesn't have to be big things. And sometimes Jesus says, I'm better than having a place to lay your head. Be faithful to Christ. Get to church. Sing for joy. Uh, And Jesus wants you to be faithful. In fact, in Revelation 2.10, he lays out the demands for what he expects of you. It says in Revelation 2.10 to a church that was struggling, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you eternal life. How faithful does Jesus want me to be? If he demands your life, he expects you to give it up, meaning there is no condition. Jesus expects total faithfulness from you to him. Believe God is faithful. Be faithful to Christ by worshiping him as the supreme Lord of all, weekly coming into his presence and worshiping him consistently. Jot this down. Our second W is walk with Christ consistently. Uh, Faith in Christ is like a walk after you're saved. Remember, this is after you're saved. It's, It's like this. See, I learned to walk a long time ago. And I I still know how to do it. Pretty cool. How big is Ryan? So big. Still know how to do it. See, but sometimes Christians who learn how to walk stop walking. They, they, They get stuck. And I'm sure there are some people in this room, you are going nowhere with God. You have been in the same place with God for years. Nothing's happening. Nothing new. You're just stuck. You're not walking. Uh, And we say here at Harvest that there's two feet to the walk with Christ. There's you and Jesus your private, personal walk with him, and then there's you in the church. And you need both feet moving if you're truly going to get where God wants you to go. If you're only doing the me and Jesus, I don't need a church, I'm just going to, you know, read my Bible, it's just me and Jesus, you're going to be in pain. All right, fast. This is like as far as I can go, because I'm almost 40. Don't judge my flexibility. But here we go, and this is you maybe, you're just only me and Jesus, and there's nothing between you and the body of believers going on. So your personal walk, though, does need to be solid. Um, Daniel is such a great example of what it means to have a solid, private, personal faith in Christ. You know many of the stories of Daniel, but in Daniel 6, 4, it says this. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel. What's the deal here? He's a government official, and other government officials wanted to take him down. So... It says here, uh, with regard to the, the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. If there's like a government-backed investigation into a Illinois politician, they're going to dig something up. They usually do. Uh, that's what happened. The government had this investigation and they looked into Daniel's life and they found nothing. He was faithful. Uh, And because of it, he set a great example. He had a prayer life and he and the Lord were in a good place. Hey, where are you at in your private personal walk with the Lord? Do you have spiritual goals? If I asked you, what are your spiritual goals? Do you have a plan? Do you have a spiritual growth plan? If you don't have a plan, you're probably not moving forward with the Lord. Do you have a Bible reading plan? See, uh, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, or maybe you've never had a Bible reading plan, I just need to tell you that this is food. This is your food. 
Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is your food. And if you're not reading this, you're not eating. You're starving. All right? And the enemy is going to pick you off because you're weak. Have a Bible reading plan four or five times a week over your frosted flakes. I mean, just, just eat spiritually. Read the Bible. Uh, maybe, maybe you've never done this before. When I was a new Christian, I didn't have anybody training me how to do this. I just, the church gave me a Bible and I just went to the New Testament because the Old Testament was kind of scary. And so I went to the New Testament and I just started reading like the book of Mark and learned all of what Jesus did. Then I read the book of Acts and I loved it and I heard about the church growing. And when the book of Acts was over, I didn't want it to end. I was like, how did, what happened next? What happened next? And then finally I got enough courage to go into the Old Testament. And man, I started reading about Moses started reading about Noah and all the judges, and I was blown away. I remember calling my friend. I was in college when I got saved, and I was like, I just read this book called Ecclesiastes. I can't even say it. I said, it's really cool. It's like philosophy. Then I found Song of Solomon. I'm like, this is in the Bible? Who left this in the Bible? It was all new. And maybe for you, you just need to start reading it. Don't be intimidated. I'll invite you to join me on my plan right now. I'm reading through the story of Moses. So read the book of Exodus and then read the book of Numbers. That's what I'm doing now. And then you can come up and we'll talk about it on Sunday. But, but maybe that can be, if you don't have a plan, that's not your plan. Congratulations. I just gave you a plan. You're going to read the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers and then we'll talk about it. Have a plan. Walk with Christ consistently. So number one, believe God is faithful. Number two, be faithful to Christ. Uh, number three, write this down, be faithful to others. To others. You cannot live the Christian life alone. The Bible says we are like a family. The Bible says the church is like a body, like a building cemented together. Whenever the New Testament describes the church, it's always united. All right, You don't create the spiritual unity that you share with other believers. God does. And you can't break it. All you can do is manage it in a way that creates harmony or friction. Okay, understand, we are family forever. Look around. You will be seeing these people in 100,000 years. We got to learn to get along. Better if it happens now. Okay, better if it happens now. Because if we're united but not getting along, there's going to be it's going to be terrible. It's like, like tying two cats by the tail and throwing them over a clothesline. <laughs> you can't separate them, so they better learn to get along. And this is what happens in churches when they don't get along. They don't resolve conflict. They're not faithful to each other. God will manifest his presence in your life primarily through the spiritual gifts of others. Do you know that? Do you know the number one way God manifests himself to the world and the church is through the spiritual gifts of other people. Teaching gifts, helping gifts. That's how he does it. If you want to feel God is real in your life, if you've been wondering where he's at, if you isolate yourself from the church, you're taking away his plan to be real to you. If you think you can just get him one-on-one, -on -one, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're amputating yourself. Pick one body part that you would allow me to just chop off right now. You wouldn't even let me trim your fingernails because you'd be a little nervous that I'd get too close, right? You know, how about the ear? How about the nose? How about the pinky toe? Can I take any body part from you right now? No, 
because they are all valuable to you. So like a body, you can't just amputate yourself from the church. I'm fine just being Jesus. I'll go to church on TV. No, that's not the way it works. All right? You actually have to be around living, breathing people or God can't be real to you like he wants to. I was uh, on the phone earlier this week and I, I was talking to my old pastor and I knew we were going to be talking for a while. So I left the church and I, I was like, it's a gorgeous day out. I'll just go to Lake Catherine, which is down the street. Uh, and so... Have you guys been to Lake Catherine? How many of you been to Lake Catherine? It's a nice place to be on a beautiful day, right? So there I am on the phone. I get out of my car, and I'm walking around the lake, and this never happens, but the trail was shut down, like on the far side of the lake. So I'm like, oh, the trail's shut down. I'm talking to him, and I turn around. So now I'm walking the other way around Lake Catherine, and we're wrapping up the phone call, and, uh, and I'm about to say goodbye, get in my car, and come back to the church. I'm like, all right, well, I'll talk to you later. And then just then a, um, a woman comes around the corner, and I was like, see you later. And I recognized her. Do you remember my friend who I told you about who led me to faith in Christ, the long-haired bass player named Andy? I showed his picture a few weeks ago. So it was his mom. His mom was there at Lake Catherine. And so she had lost her husband in the fall. So my friend Andy's dad died last fall. And I haven't seen her since. And so I was like, all right, see you later. And I was like, Patty, hey, weird that I just ran into you here. How you doing? And she goes, not good. I said, not good? It's hard, huh? She's like, Easter was bad. She's like, we had all the birthdays, we had Christmas, but now I went through Easter without him. I'm not doing well. And I was like, let's walk. <laughs> so, so we just walked together. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, this is strange. Am I right? Like, does anybody see how did I end up right there at that moment as she's walking? Am I the only one who sees that? Like, like, trail is closed, and it just, I'm getting off the phone, and suddenly a woman who needs encouragement, who I've known for a long time, and I'm just right there. Am I the only one who sees that? See, so that's a divine appointment, and it's not like a divine appointment, like I'm going to save a bank from being robbed or something. <laughs> you know, good thing I was here. It's a divine appointment for a person God loves who just needed 15 minutes of encouragement, and I was able to be there. And so we talk for 15 minutes, and she's asking me how the church is going. She's like, I can't believe you're a pastor. I just remember you from being this, you know, drummer. And I'm just like, I know. Who did this and put me in charge of this? If only they knew. So we're just laughing and catching up and all this and talking about her husband's first Easter in heaven. And then, and then that was it. And I went back to the church, and, and then my friend's like, oh, she needed that. She's been having such a hard time. Hey, God did that, right? God did that. And what that shows us is that God wants us to take care of each other. And um, we're not that great at it. We have to be faithful to others. Jot this down. Walk with Christ in community. You have to do it with others around you. Um, And when it comes to community, we uh, have to... Be devoted to one another. So it says in 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, there's the other people, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How are you doing at loving one another? Um, here's what I mean by that. Because people will give themselves an A because they give a few coins to strangers who are out begging, and they'll see, now I'm getting an A, because I'm loving one another. That's not what it means. It means people in this room. 
people in your church family. So, so what's your grade on how you are doing it, loving earnestly others in this room? Uh, if we sat down and I said, tell me five people in this church, I want you to tell me that you know what they're going through, that you care, and that you have done something to help. If you can't give me the list of five people in this church that you know what they're going through, you care and you've helped, then I'm giving you an F. And so is God. You can just write that on your bulletin, just big F, because you don't know about five people in your church family and you haven't really cared and you haven't helped. That means you're just, and I need to help you see your starting point. That means you're not devoted to others if you've been around here in your church family. Now, the way that we help you with that to get an A, because everybody likes to get A's, is we help people get plugged into small groups. Small groups, uh, we're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. We want everyone who would call this church home to be involved in group life. Top to bottom, elder all the way down to a person who just joined the church, we all want to be involved in group life. Why? Because that's how you know, that's how you care, and that's how you help. If you're not in a small group, we can't care for you because we don't know what you're going through. We can't help you. Um, And so we really love when people get plugged into small groups. I'm going to invite one of our small group leaders up now, Kent Erickson. Let's give him a round of applause as he comes up here to talk about group life. Kent and Lori have been around for a long time. They've been serving so faithfully and just want to thank you that you're willing to do that. Boy, you could be spending all that time that you devote to your small group on yourself, but there you are leading other people. So why don't you tell us why you lead a small group? You know, I've had so many people lead me through life, through my spiritual life, uh, and including here. And I feel like God's given me the ability to do that. So when I was offered the opportunity, I grasped it, Mm. the privilege. Mm. That's great. Um, Now, when it comes to small groups, I mean, what do you think life would be like if you didn't have a small group? Oh, boy. You know, Ryan, when we first started worshiping together, we didn't have small groups here at Harvest because we were too new. We worshiped. We got that set up, and then we grew, and you built things from that, and leaders built other things, and then we finally got the small groups in place, but... um, I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. That was not, that was not good. I, uh-huh. I was really impatient for that. And, uh, yeah, I, would, I can't imagine me without it. The fellowship we have, um, as the Bible tells us in James, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I can ask in my group 13 people to pray for me about a problem I'm having spiritually or physically, and the same for them. Yeah. And I have 13 saved believers with me praying. That's powerful. That is powerful. So if someone were to say, you know what, yeah, I'd love to be in a small group, but just time. I mean, I I just don't have that time to do it. Well, how would you respond to that? I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It is a sacrifice. Just like being here on Sunday morning, instead of doing something else more pleasurable, perhaps, um, you have to give up that time. But it's an oasis for us in the middle of the week on Wednesday evening. And sometimes I get confused on Tuesday and I think it's Wednesday, and I'm all disappointed. It's only Tuesday evening. i got to wait till tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. But I love, the, I love everyone in our group, and um, I love being with them. And Wednesday's a special time. It refreshes all of us midweek. Yeah, when people say, you know, it's too hard, we don't have the time, I just think to myself, we've, we've you know, eight years uh, here as a track record, we've seen people who have invested that time in small groups, and we've seen people who have not invested that time, Right. Uh, it's hard for both of them, but in different ways, right? So, yes. yeah, if you're in a small group, uh, when you go through a trial, it's hard, but you have people around you to help you. 
right? And it was hard for you to devote that time into building relationships, but then it pays off when you go through some stuff. Uh, but then if you're not in a small group, sure, you have the convenience of more time to do your things, but then when you go through a hard time, it's harder, right? It's, it's harder. So you've not made your life easier. You've made it harder because no one's around. Yeah. Well, I just want you to know. Wait, go ahead. I would imagine it's oftentimes an emergency call to you or a frantic call to you. I need help for yeah. someone that's not in a small group, as opposed to going to their small group fellow members. Yeah. Yes, it's a network that's comforting and encouraging. Usually when someone's in a small group and we get the call, the small group is already, uh, they've already sprung into action. They, I love it when they beat us to the hospital to make the visit. They're already there. I mean, that's success, right? Yes, that means a lot to everybody that is involved in that situation. Well, hey, we love you and we love what you do, so let's just encourage him and all of our small group leaders too. again. Hey, let me just challenge you to walk with Christ in community. You can get into a small group um, and, and try to never reason your way out of being in a small group because I really believe to the depth of my soul, having seen people for eight years now, uh, if you're not in a small group, you are making your life harder, okay? You are making your life harder, and in time, it will become clear that your uh, walk with Christ is suffering, um, you know, and you might think, well, I'll be a better parent or spouse or whatever with more time. In the end, it won't work out that way, okay? Uh, your spouse, your kids, what do they need to see most? They need to see that mom and dad love Jesus. And make that investment to show them what comes first. And it's not them, and it's not the marriage, and it's not the job. What comes first is Jesus. Make that your commitment, and every other area of your life will be enriched. Stop by the table in the gym uh, after the service if you want to find out more about small groups. Hey, finally, be faithful to others by walking with Christ in community. And finally, work for Christ sacrificially. We challenge everybody who calls Harvest Home to get on a ministry team. Why? Because God wants us to serve him um, by doing the work that he has prepared in advance for us to do. It says in Matthew 25, 23, everyone wants to hear this. It's a famous verse. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh boy, do you want to hear that? We say it to each other. Oh, I can't wait to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. The reason you'll hear those words is because you faithfully serve. This is not a passive thing that's being rewarded. It's an active thing. You are faithfully serving. Um, if you, sometimes people want to hear that, but they don't really do anything to work for Christ. They don't really serve in any way in the church. Let me just challenge you on that because you won't be rewarded for what you're not doing. Well, I don't commit adultery. I don't steal from my work. I'm not mean to anyone. That's not the description of a faithful servant. If you want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, you can't bank on what you're not doing. You have to bank on what you are doing. And it's what you're doing for other people that God will applaud on the day Christ returns. In Luke 16, 10, it says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You might feel like you don't have a big job at, at church. You might feel like you're not serving in a huge way. That doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is that you are faithful in small things. And then he'll give you a promotion. We have ministry teams at Harvest that require a small amount. Uh, you're on the schedule a couple times a month, 15 minutes a week, 20 maybe. I mean, anybody can do that. Anybody. But then there are other ministries that demand a lot. 
If you're on the worship team, you're sacrificing a night out, and you're getting here early, you're serving for two services. Um, we need a VBS team. That came up in announcements. And I, I'm kind of puzzled because usually our VBS team comes together pretty quickly. Um, but we're doing VBS a little earlier this year. So I don't know why we're having a hard time staffing VBS, but let me just challenge you. If you want to work for Christ and make an eternal difference in the lives of others, hey, I, I hope we storm that VBS table after the service. Really, like, we have 200 kids who are going to come to this church and say, minister to me, and we're having a hard time getting people who say that sounds exciting? I mean, come on, church, let's do it. Let, let's not have to twist arms to, to... Most people who get saved get saved when they're kids, all right? So let's get on this. Let's work for Christ sacrificially. You know, when I started working for Christ at my first church, they let me spread grass seed on the workday. That's the first thing I got to do. Then I got upgraded to light bulbs. I got to replace the light bulbs in the worship center. Then I served my first VBS ever, and they put me in charge of juice box distribution. So I was over there handing out juice boxes. Then I got a little bored, so I picked up an ice cube, and I hit a kid with it, and I started an ice cube fight at my first VBS. So then I got demoted off of juice box duty, and I got put back in charge of light bulbs. See, I couldn't even pass juice box duty. So I don't know, maybe you're going to be put in juice box duty, but start serving Christ in some way because time is short. Time is short. Uh, The trumpet will sound, and what matters is what you are storing up for yourself in the next world. What are you doing for Christ right now? What will he applaud you for when he returns? Remember who our God is. In Revelation 19.11, it says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, The one sitting on it is called, what? Faithful and true. Wow, the first name our returning king is called is faithful. And I trust and I hope that he will be able to say the same of you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful. After all of the wars of this world are fought, after all of the sicknesses have been endured after all of the church fights, after all, Lord, of the joyful holidays, after everything bad and good and painful has ever been done at the very end of human history, you will be called faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for your great faithfulness to us. Help us to be faithful to you, faithfully devoted to you, Lord, through belief in the resurrection that saves us, faithfully devoted to you in our worship, in our walk, and in our work. Oh, Lord, give us the ability to grow in this discipline so that we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.